the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy and ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom. Here's a piece I hope you will enjoy from my colleague, Mark Davis. There's another book you're going to want. And that is a gentleman who is a political science professor at Kentucky State in the proud capital of Frankfort, Kentucky. He is Wilfred Riley, and the book is Hate Crime Hoax, How the Left is Selling a Fake Race War. Gents, back at the lab, go and bring Dr. Riley up, Professor Riley up, because I'm not quite sure what to, what button on my remote thing he is on. So let me have you guys press that button. Okay, very good, uh, Professor Riley. Mark Davis, a pleasure to have you. How are you doing? sir. Uh, doing really well, Mark, and a uh, pleasure to be on the line with you. I've listened it, to the show before. How are well, you? Well, listen, I'm doing absolutely fantastically. So, boy, you could not have known. Uh, I mean, I've I've written I've I've written books. I've written books for Regnery. Congratulations on a fine publisher. When you started to to touch fingers to the keyboard to write hate crime hoax, how the left is selling a fake race war, did you know who Jussie Smollett even was? Um, I've watched Empire once or twice, so yes, I did. But I, I do see where you're going with this, and it's kind of a testament to the power of prayer or something, isn't it? I mean, I'm from Chicago, and Jesse Smollett's hoax became apparent. That became a national news story about five days before the book dropped, um, before our major press started for it. So that was late last week. And I mean, the book is coming out tomorrow. So yeah, Duffy Smollett has definitely uh, helped advance my career a little bit. No uh, doubt. You, you, uh, let's, we'll talk a little bit about what ought to happen for, for uh, a level of hoax like this, but he has certainly done you a huge favor. Kentucky State is an HBU, a historically black university. Is there something, I mean, there shouldn't be, it shouldn't matter what color anybody is, what sex anybody is, it's ideas that matter, but is there some added impact about a book about hate crime hoax? coming out of a professor at a black university? Well, I think one thing that I would say, actually, is you would be surprised how politically, unpolitically correct the major black colleges are. So to a certain extent, I think that the left in the United States is driven by sort of angry white activists who present themselves as the friends or the allies of people of color, but who, in fact, are much more concerned with advancing ideas like a sort of Nordic socialism than actually with helping out, for example, black communities. And at Kentucky State, most of our staff, most of our teachers and coaches are middle-class black guys. So I haven't really gotten any um, backlash or hostility on campus whatsoever uh, concerning the release of the book. I will say that one thing that comes to my mind is that a white author probably couldn't have written this book because it would have been too easy to attack whoever did it as a racist or as insensitive, something like that. I mean, I will say, uh, shout out to one of the pioneers in this field, Laird Wilson. 
Wilcox with his book Crying Wolf tried to publish a book like this, um, similarly recommended by people in law enforcement, centrist and conservative media, so on, in 1994. And my understanding is that there was extraordinary pressure brought to bear so that that wouldn't happen. Um, the distribution of the publisher, Fero House, was threatened, as I understand. So for me, I mean, I am an African-American guy. I agree that's not usually relevant. But I'm a teacher at a top 30 historically black college. I'm also a well-known opponent of the alt-right. Um, one of the things I entered kind of public life doing was debating people like Jared Taylor in this reasonably televised, regionally televised series of debates. And I made points like actually, actually adopting the alt-right sort of ethno-state solutions for the USA would mean destroying the right. country. Uh, points like IQ, I'm black and Irish. The average IQ for Irish individuals in America has risen from 75 at the time of World War One to 102 today. So a lot of the claims about black or East Asian or something potential made on the alt-right are nonsensical. But the point is that I entered the public eye as an outspoken anti-racist, the guy with the flashy ties debating the Jared Taylors. So I think it's going to be very, very hard to paint me as a Nazi for sort of stating <laughs> what are empirical facts. I'm a jock-looking black guy in a suit. Yeah, and but I the, do uh, think yeah. that a white author would have immediately been attacked. I do. Think it, indeed so. I, but you'll, I, I guarantee you, you will uh, you have a spectacular description of, of the armor you properly wear. But you know they're coming after you anyway. You, I believe, I can almost predict you, are, you will be portrayed as some self-loathing black man who has, for some reason, something in his past that, that leaves you wanting to, to dance for the man or some other kind. And because nobody wants to talk about the actual issue. Everybody wants to, it's all window dressing, it's all the politics of the day, whether you love Trump, hate Trump, whatever. But in the pages of hate crime hoax, how the left is selling a fake race war, and we got two segments, so we got time. Take me to the history. When, when did the first smattering arise of people noticing that there wasn't enough, and pardon the way this sounds, there wasn't enough real virulent racism in the headlines, so we had to start inventing some? Well, I, I like the way you summed that up uh, quite a lot. So uh, one of the narratives on the left that really defines the left, actually, in the USA, the activist left, not every union guy that votes for the Democratic Party. Right. But the thing that really defines the left is the idea that not much has changed in America since the late 1950s. Uh, activists are constantly talking about racism itself, white privilege, cultural appropriation, subtle bigotry. The reality is that there's not all that much active racism in the United States today. This is one of the things that I study. Of course, we're not perfect. No earthly individuals are. But uh, 1954 was uh, the end of Southern segregation. 1965 took 10, 15-year sampling. 1965 was the Civil Rights Act. Affirmative action began with the Philadelphia Plan under Mr. Nixon, 1967. So pro-minority affirmative action is 52 years old. And in that context, you're not going to see a lot of things like what Jussie Smollett said he endured in reality, um, you know, individuals carrying nooses in public attacking African-Americans. So today when you see cases like that, a great many of them are fake. Um, I've sketched out a few here. This is a brief deviation, but when you see a high-profile hate crime, uh, Jussie Smollett, the Covington Catholic claim just a week before that that this group of prep school athletes was taunting and abusing uh, this old Native American wise man, uh, Yasmin Saweed, Trump supporters ripped off my hijab, Eastern Michigan Air Force Academy, where a general had to come out and make a speech yep. against racism. 
before the whole thing was revealed as a fake. Uh, the young black girl who claimed that white men literally urinated on her. He in college with the death threats, Wisconsin Parkside with the nooses, the burnt black church, the UVA rape, the fraternities, if you remember, were supposed to be holding anti-feminist rape rituals. Duke Lacrosse, all of these were fakes. Um, I think I've just listed 12 of them. I, I know. I mean, you're on a roll. I mean, that, the, 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 that's it. So I could almost hear people when, when you say, and I want to quote you exactly right, that active racism, people doing actual lynching, actual physical victimization, actual acts of terror, does it still happen? Sure. But but if, if we may be at a tipping point where the, okay, do I want to say this? I'll offer it to you, where the hoax is at least, at, the hoax is at least as likely as the horrible racist event? I think that was a that was a nice uh, pass for the assist there. I think that it depends what you're talking about. I mean, so when you look at hate crimes, one of the things I say is that most of the widely publicized, well recognized hate crimes that I've analyzed personally, and I'm I'm pretty skilled. That is most of the set have turned out to be fakes. There are a fair number of hate crimes. I mean, there are seven thousand reported hate crimes a year. These are things like cases of interracial fist fight. I mean, most of that stuff probably did happen. But when you see the very major cases, Duke Lacrosse, um, where someone claimed that a, an entire lacrosse team had physically penetrated her and they'd done it for racial reasons, uh, yeah, I'll take the bait. There's, there's no chance that's true. It is far more likely in a situation like this. When you hear something like Covington Catholic, you know, whites and natives are facing off on the, the quad in D.C., you know, this were Custer and Crazy Horse. People are <laughs> wow. yelling racial insults. I mean, yep. there, there's no chance that's true. I'm at the point now with our guest, Wilfred Riley, the author, uh, political science professor at Kentucky State in Frankfort, Kentucky, where if I hear of a, of a high-level hate crime assertion, I stop and I say something terrible has happened. I just don't know what. Either the hate crime is true and something hateful and horrible has happened, or someone is trying to deceive us. What does it say that we're at that place? Um, question for me? Yep. And as a note, I can only take one or two more questions. I thought I was uh, going to be on for about 10 minutes. I'm actually in class for part of the conversation. Oh, this is tremendous. If I, can, if I can have you for about seven more, we'll be done. Sorry sorry to be too generous. <laughs> I apologize. No, no. I'm uh, I'm gl- very glad to be on the show. No, I do uh, I'd wondered about the time for that uh, initially, but um, so what does that say about us as a society that there's this question about incidents like these? Yep. I think it says that we're very polarized. Um, I mean, in recent years, you've seen the rise of both bowling alone, if you will, and social media. So I think that people, well, there are a couple of different things going on. I think that people are associating more and more with other people who are almost entirely like them. Um, And that causes beliefs that are perhaps not inherently the most logical, like the belief that racism continues as it has eternally to exist in communities where more open discussion would probably wipe those away. Um, I think that another thing, focusing specifically on the left, because I was fairly comfortable with a partisan title for my book, uh, most of these hoaxes have been concentrated on the left, although there also are some on the alt-right. I think that another issue is that there's a fairly large body of entities. Uh, Endowment for the Southern Poverty Law Center is uh, $432 million, last I checked. Um, Black Lives Matter as a collection of organizations has now main social media page reached over 500,000 people. 
You've got the older civil rights, uh, quote-unquote, groups like Al Sharpton's National Action Network. Uh, this large fringe group's Nation of Islam unbelievably has 50,000 members in accredited university, Muhammad University. So I think there's a very large group of people that have a stake in promoting, bluntly, without getting into conspiracy theories. This is just true. This, uh, this ideology or this idea of oppression. And I think that there's a direct link between that and the astonishing prevalence of specifically these fake hate crime stories. Yeah. Is, um, is, there, is there a just because I want to be very respectful of your time. I know we got to go in about three, four minutes. And thank you for the extra time. In, in, in the media culture of this, in the media treatment of this, they needed Jesse Smollett's story to be true. They needed it so badly, like they needed their next breath, that they totally uh, put a pause button on the normal skepticism that any human being would have about that story. Did you see it the same way? Yeah, I, I certainly did. I think that one of the most astonishing things that I saw when I was reading through the coverage of the Smollett case, other than, of course, mine, which was exquisite, yes. but, um, was, <laughs> but was, was people saying, well, you know, it, it doesn't sound like this is a very believable story, but we'd better hope that it is true. Yeah. Um, people, after the story was revealed as a complete fake, said things like, well, I am horrified that this was not true. I am horrified that this occurred. And to an extent, there's an element almost of insanity to that. I mean, here's a guy that's saying something that's at the pretty close to the level of provoking racial violence, if not actual race war. I mean, he's saying, you know, armed fighters from the other side accosted him on the street. And people are cheering for this to be true and complaining that it turns out to be false. But I think here again, we get into the idea of narratives. Uh, a very large sector of American society, uh, affirmative action that's in part justified by a legitimate diversity rationale, but mostly based on this idea of oppression, minority set-asides, which are totally Totally based on this idea of oppression. Uh, the budgets for all of the groups I just mentioned, all this depends on the continuation of kind of the old wars. So evidence of the old wars continuing is treated not as horrifying, not as shameful, but by many people almost as a positive thing. Um, groups were issuing press releases saying things like, this shows we still have a reason to fight. Uh, I'm not going to name the groups one by one, but I mean, I have some liberal as well as conservative contacts. And in my inbox, people were using this as a basis for fundraising. Sure. We saw what happened to Brother Jesse. This obviously still happens. It could happen in Chicago. It could happen anywhere. So please give to our new campaign against institutional racism. Let's, you know, drive the Klan back into their holes. So I think that there were a lot of there are a lot of people that have pretty substantial emotional and even financial investments sure. in this idea that we're not one America, that we're still fighting each other. That is a spectacular is, it's a spectacular analysis because the waning of racism is, is great news for every human being unless you are in the activism business. Yeah, no, that's correct. One of the one of the things that two men I sometimes listen to, very, very different perspectives. But one thing the uh, conservative commentator Ben Shapiro and actually the liberal writer Tim Weiss uh, agree on and keep emphasizing is that life is better for most people than it has ever been before. Yep. Life expectancies are longer than they've ever been. Uh, uh -huh. Under Mr. Trump, unemployment, not just for 
And I, there are some issues I have with Trump, but overall, I like him as a president. But unemployment, uh, not just for everyone, but specifically for African Americans, is at the lowest level it's really ever been in the USA. The incomes in the modern Western world are the highest they've ever been, and so on down the line. So the idea that the world is, in fact, in terrible condition and it needs yeah. to be saved by radicals and revolutionaries is false. Most of the boneyards of the last century, in fact, were caused by people that were uncomfortable with capitalist democracy and wanted to engage in revolution rather than just letting the world get better. And that's what communism was. That's what Nazism was. Nazism was a left-wing philosophy. Um, that's what radical socialism was, and so on. So one of the things you see with American activists in this sector is the redefinition of words to mean something other than the thing we've already defeated. So... Racism means, the real definition of racism is disliking someone because you believe their race is genetically inferior. Mm -hmm. That's what you and I and almost everyone else would mean by racism. If someone says, I don't like blacks, they're dumb, or I don't like Asians, they're small and weak, that's a, broadly speaking, a racist statement. Mm -hmm. Almost no one in public would say this today. So activist movements on the left, and for that matter on the alt-right, but this is, the left is much larger, have been reduced to redefining what racism means. Yep. So when people talk about racism today, I mean, you see things like the argument that any differences in performance are racist. Right. So... Yeah, it's, it's the idea of equality of uh, result rather than sure. uh, equality of chance to participate. But, for example, yep. the SAT, you're talking about no one in America does extraordinarily well, by the way. We need to return to yep. solid, fairly classical. We've got about 30 seconds, huh? Okay. But, I mean, racism now is said to mean a situation where on a test, Asians get an 1,100, whites at 1,050, blacks at 1,000, Hispanics 950. That has nothing to do with racism. That has to do with fathers, training, a bunch of other things, how well prepared people are for the test. And this is good because we've won. Almost nobody is an outspoken radical bigot today. Rather than letting people redefine the meaning of the words we use to claim yes, that's still very, very common. Yes, sir. We should declare victory and, and, and move to the, to the next, next problem. Card. Well, listen, in quantifying this, what a joy to have you. Thanks for the extra segment, and, and thank your, your students for their oh, indulgence. You. Wilfred Riley at Kentucky State. The book is Hate Crime Hoax, How the Left is Selling a Fake Race War. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. I want to talk to you for a moment about a group I've done work with for years, ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom. You see now your freedom is under attack. Go to townhallreview.com to find out how you can join Alliance Defending Freedom help ensure the opponents of freedom don't dictate your future. That's townhallreview.com. If you enjoy your podcast, take a moment, tell a friend to subscribe today. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.